you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, let me encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2 as we study together this morning. As you're finding that, let me welcome our West Campus again with us this morning. And let me just say, incredible job last weekend. And our West Campus, they had an extreme student weekend. They had over 260 in worship at our West Campus last weekend. Let's give God a hand for that. That is absolutely incredible. I really appreciate the job that you guys are doing to seek to reach your community and help us reach the Midlands for the good news of Jesus Christ. If you've never been to church before, many of the things that we do are not new to you. You've seen these things before in different places. For instance, most likely, even if you've never been to church, you've seen people sing together. And we do that when we come together at church. Most likely, if you've never been to church, you've seen someone give a speech or someone teach. And when we stand up and we proclaim God's Word, that's what we're doing. We're teaching, we're speaking to you about the truths of God's Word. Most likely, if you've never been to church before, you've still seen someone pray or someone meditate because we see a lot of people do that in our society and in our country and our culture today. And and I imagine even if you've never been to church before, you've probably seen someone take up an offering or someone ask for money. I mean, goodness gracious, every time I go to Walmart, they ask me, would you like to give to? And they have a certain cause. And, and I always think, why don't you just give? Walmart. Why don't you just give the money instead of asking me to give so that you can give it? But we see all of those things everywhere we go. But there are a couple of things that we see in church that are a little unusual, that are a little strange, that, that are foreign to people who have never been to church. For instance, one of them is communion, the Lord's Supper. <laughs> we, we pass these trays that that have these little dry wafers, tasteless wafers, and then we, we pass out this juice in these cups that will never quench your thirst. And we talk about this dry wafer in this juice representing the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, to someone who's never been to church, that's a little strange. And then what we did this morning... With baptism, we say that when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, they should be baptized. So in many of our churches, we build this little swimming pool that's good for nothing other than baptizing. You can't swim in it. It has no jets so that the staff can't meet together during the week for a hot tub party. It's good for one thing, and that's baptizing, and people get into the pool, and they get dunked because they are professing their faith in Jesus Christ. And let's be honest, that's a little different, that's a little strange, that's a little unusual. And that's why I want to talk to you this morning about baptism. If you've ever come to Northside very often, you've most likely seen a number of people get baptized. Some of the people that are baptized are, are children. Some of them are teenagers. Some of them are 
adults. Over the years, I've personally had the privilege of baptizing hundreds and even thousands of people, though I, I, I don't do most of the baptizing anymore. One of the ladies that we baptized, her name was Stella. She was approaching 90 years of age. She had been active in church her entire life. But one Sunday morning, she came to me and, and said, I want to get saved and be baptized. And I said, Stella, surely you're saved. And she said, no, I'm a church member, but I've never been saved. I need to get saved and get baptized. And, and I baptized Stella, who was almost 90 years old. And then there was Mark. When Mark was a teenager, he, he accidentally shot himself in the head. And it partially paralyzed Mark. And Mark was a big guy. And, and to be partially paralyzed, he, he, was, he was a thick, muscular guy. And, and to say that it was difficult baptizing Mark when he gave his life to Jesus and said, I want to be baptized, was an understatement. Because when Mark was in that baptismal pool, he was dead weight. And it took several of us to hold him up and then get him under the water and get him back up out of the water so that he could publicly profess his faith in Jesus. But, but even though he was partially paralyzed and could not walk on his own, he wanted to profess his faith in Jesus. And then there was this young man. He was 6'4". He was well over 300 pounds, a big old guy. And he got saved on the mill hill one day, and he wanted to get baptized. And so that Sunday morning, we got ready to baptize him, but he didn't tell me that he was afraid of the water. And when you get a six-foot-four, 300-pound-plus guy in water to baptize him, and he's afraid of the water, it's a little difficult. And he's the only person that I've ever baptized that it took me three tries to get him under the water. Finally, I had to kind of sneak up on him. I had to calm him down. And as I was talking to him, I surprise dunked him. Now, what did all of those people have in common? All of those people had professed their faith in Jesus. And they desired to publicly profess that faith through the biblical way of baptism. I've baptized husbands and wives together. I've baptized entire families. Some of the people that, that we baptized had hardly ever come to church before they were baptized. Other people had, had come to church almost their entire lives. They were very active in church, but they had never been saved and they were baptized. I, I've baptized in churches. I've baptized in pools. I've baptized in lakes, I've baptized in the ocean, and I even baptized one guy on a cruise ship. It doesn't matter where you find the body of water, it doesn't matter where it is, when, when someone professes their faith in Jesus, they can get baptized. Now, what is baptized? And, and what makes baptism such a big deal? There are some people today that, that say that it's essential to salvation. You've got to be baptized before you're actually saved. And there are other people today that say, no, you don't have to be saved to be baptized. In reality, baptism is just a 
religious ritual and it's not really important at all. And then there are people like us. People that say, no, baptism isn't essential to salvation. But it is an expression of our salvation. It is evidence of our salvation. And that makes baptism a big deal. So what does the Bible say? Well, if you've ever read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that they all end the same way. Jesus dies. He's nailed to a cross. But he didn't stay dead. On Sunday, the third day, he rose from the grave. He defeated death. And he defeated sin because that's why he died. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins. On Sunday, three days later, he was raised from the dead, defeating sin and death. After that, the Bible tells us that he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. And, and we're told that he taught his disciples, he instructed them what they were to do next. And one of the things that he instructed them on was their mission, their assignment. And in Matthew's gospel, it, it says it this way. Jesus said, go into the world. Make disciples. And once they become disciples, then baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to obey everything I've told you to do. And, and don't forget, I'm going to be with you the entire time as you go to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said that, the Bible says that Jesus said that they were to wait in Jerusalem to the, till the Holy Spirit came upon them because the Holy Spirit was going to be the one who would give them the power to accomplish the task, the assignment, the mission that God gave them to do. And, and so these disciples, along with around a hundred others, gathered in a place called the upper room and they waited there for about two weeks. And the Bible says after about two weeks... The promise that Jesus gave them was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit came on each and every one of them. Now understand, this was both a unique experience because it was the birth of the church, but at the same time, it was an experience that every believer in every age experiences. Because the Bible tells us that when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And so the Holy Spirit came from heaven and dwelt the believers. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that takes us to the passage in Acts chapter 2 that, that I want us to pick up on. And, and the first thing I want you to see is that when the Spirit came to the believers... A message was given by the believers. One of the things that I've discovered as I read through the Bible is God never does anything by chance. God always has a plan. 
Now, the Holy Spirit came during the Jewish celebration called Pentecost. There were literally thousands of Jews from all over the world, both Jews and God-fearers, people from other nations who were studying Judaism and and they believed in the God of Judaism and they were there together celebrating this feast, this celebration called Passover. All over the world, people had gathered in Jerusalem. And so when Peter and the other disciples realized what had happened, they began to share the good news, the gospel, with all the people that were there. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2. Verse 22, it says, men of Israel, and this is Peter speaking to them. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. In other words, Peter's just saying, none of you can deny the fact that Jesus did miracles. You all know that. You saw it, you experienced it. You were, a, you, you were a recipient, many of you, of these miracles. Then he said, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, don't miss what Peter told them. You put Jesus to death. You nailed Jesus to the cross. You want to blame the Roman soldiers, but it wasn't the Roman soldiers. It was you. One of my favorite pictures in my house hangs beside our front door. And it's a picture of Jesus on the cross. And looking up at the cross, some standing, some kneeling, or ordinary people. People like me. People like you. There are a couple that are holding hammers. There are a couple of others who who have dropped their hammers. There, There are nails on the ground. And this picture that's at my front door reminds me every time I see it that I was the one who nailed Jesus to the cross. You are the one that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. Jesus died because of our sin and Jesus died for our sin. And until we understand that, we will never truly grasp the good news of the gospel. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. 
Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, he defeated sin and death. And listen, the gospel will never change. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, he defeated sin. He defeated death by being resurrected. That's the gospel. And though there are people in every age, in every generation that try to update the gospel, that that try to change the gospel, that try to pervert the gospel, the gospel never changes. It's timeless. Galatians chapter 1, Paul said this. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And there are those today who are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. They're trying to tell us there are other ways to be saved. There are many saviors. There are many truths. There are those that are are telling us that, that the word in this book is not true. There are people that want to update, that want to change, that want to pervert. But the gospel never changes. So the gospel never changes. The message was given. You nailed Jesus to the cross. But he didn't stay there. He came out of the tomb, defeating sin and death. But then notice the second thing. The message was given, but then the Holy Spirit moved. Verse 37, and when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now, we talked about this last week when we focused on repentance. The first step of repentance is the realization of our sin. And it is only through the Holy Spirit that this happens. You see, I can feel guilt. I can feel shame. I can even have remorse over things that I've done. But it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are truly convicted of our sin. Jesus said it this way. He said when He, the Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of those words in verse 37. It says they were cut to the heart. God's Word pierced them all The way to the heart. Now be honest. Because you you, you don't have anyone to to try to to, to make think different about you. This is just between you and God. Be honest. Have you ever been broken over your sin? Have you ever been cut to the heart? Have you ever been pierced deep within because of your sin? Not because of the consequences of your sin. Not because of the results that happen because of your sin. But have you ever had that cut simply because you nailed Jesus to the cross? Now when you're cut to the heart, you want to know what to do. And that takes us to the next truth, and that is the moment of decision. The message was given. The gospel was presented. The Spirit moved in their lives, convicting them of their sin. And then they said, what do we do next? 
And notice what it says in verse 38 and following. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now understand, the gospel message calls us, and I would dare say, the gospel message commands us to repent, and to then be baptized. You see, once we hear the gospel, and we believe that it is true, once it cuts deep into our heart, the Bible says the next step is to repent. We don't need to go into detail on this. We talked for, for a good while last week on this. But, but let me just remind you, repentance begins when we recognize our sinfulness. It continues as we have remorse for that sin. It causes us to hate and then have a desire to reject sin. And it ultimately causes us to relinquish control of our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so repentance isn't just recognizing I'm a sinner. It's not simply remorse and feeling guilty. It is a recognition, it is a remorse that causes us to have a desire to reject sin and relinquish control of our life to Jesus. But once we repent, notice what Peter said. He said, repent and then be baptized. In other words... What Peter is saying is, if you've repented, the next thing you need to do is be baptized. Now understand, this makes baptism a big deal. We may not be saved by being baptized, but the Bible teaches clearly that if we are saved, we will be baptized. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Mark 16. It's that passage where it's talking about Jesus and his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And in Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus said that belief, saving belief, will result in baptism. You need to hear that. Whoever you are, whatever your religious tradition may be, you need to open up the Word of God for yourself, honestly look at it, study it, and ask, am I being true to Scripture? Now, why is baptism so important? Let me give you a couple of reasons. First, because it's an act of obedience. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. Go into the world, make disciples, and baptize. And so if Jesus tells us that everyone that we win to Christ, we're to baptize, then that's a pretty big deal. Every single time that a new believer came into the family of faith in the New Testament, they were baptized. When a person believed and repented of their sins 
They were baptized. And so my question would be, why would we want to say that we want to be a follower of Jesus and then refuse to do the very first thing that he commanded us to do? That, that just doesn't make sense to me. Because, you see, a Christian is a Christ follower. Someone who has said, I want to follow Christ with my life. And then Jesus says, okay, the very first thing I want you to do is be baptized. And, and we say, oh, well, wait. That just doesn't make sense. So it's an act of obedience. Second of all, it's a reminder. First of all, it's a reminder of what Jesus did for you. When a person goes down into the water, it is a picture, a visual sermon of the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and then rose from the grave. And so every time a person is baptized, we're seeing how sin was defeated. It was defeated by Jesus dying on a cross, being buried in a tomb, and then defeating sin and death by being resurrected from the grave. But it's not only a reminder of what Jesus did. It's a reminder of what Jesus did in you. And listen to what Paul said in Romans 6. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, Paul is saying, don't you realize that baptism is a picture of the fact that your old life has died And through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you've been made a brand new person. I love Colossians chapter 2 verse 12 in the Living Translation. It says, for in baptism, you see how your old evil nature died with him, was buried with him. And then you came up out of death with him into a new life because you trusted the word of the mighty God who raised Christ from the dead. You see, baptism doesn't make you a believer. It demonstrates that you have already believed. It's kind of like a wedding ring. This wedding ring is just an outward symbol of an inward commitment that took place in my life. This wedding ring would be meaningless if I had not made a commitment to be faithful and committed to my wife. And so baptism is an act of obedience. Baptism is a reminder. But then baptism is a witness. I heard about a little boy who went to church, and he went to children's church, kind of like we have here. And in children's church, he, he heard the gospel, and, and, and that Sunday morning he prayed, and he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And at the end of children's church, he went to the children's pastor and told him what he did. And the children's pastor said, you need to go and tell the, the pastor that you've been saved and you want to be baptized. Well, from the children's worship area to where the pastor was, the little boy got confused and he forgot the words. And, and so he got up to the pastor and said, Pastor, I got saved this morning and I want to be advertised. <laughs> but in reality, isn't that what baptism is? Baptism is you and I advertising to the world that we've given our heart and our life 
to Jesus Christ. You see, baptism is not just some religious ritual. It's the first step of obedience in a new life with Christ. It reminds us of what Jesus did for us. It reminds us of what Jesus did in us. And it is a witness to everyone that we're meaning business. We're taking seriously the fact that we've given our heart and life to Jesus. And so the message was given the Holy Spirit moved. The the people responded. But then notice what it says in verse 4. The multitude received. Look at verse 41. And I want to read this into King James. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000. The day they received the message, they were baptized. Can you imagine someone walking up to Peter and saying, Hey, I got saved today, but I don't want to do that. How do you think Peter would have responded? What do you think Peter would have said? Those that gladly received the word were baptized. And the Lord added that day some three thousand people. Can you imagine how long that service took? I, I mean, can you imagine how many curls that's like doing? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you'd have biceps like Scott Cree. I mean, just, you know, whoa, time out. Somebody else has to do this for a while. But that many people got saved. Now, notice who was baptized, those that gladly received the word. You're not baptized to get saved. You're baptized because you're saved. That's why we don't baptize infants at Northside. Because infants are incapable of believing. That's why we believe in believers' baptism. It's when someone has professed their faith in Jesus that they are saved. You don't put a wedding ring on a kid's finger and say, Here, you're married. And then go out and find them a wife. No, the wedding ring is put on their finger when they make that commitment to that husband or wife that is special to them. And everywhere the gospel was proclaimed and people believed, they repented and were baptized. We see that in Acts 2, 3,000. We see it in Acts 8 when... When Philip shared with the Ethiopian all by himself and the Ethiopian said, why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you may. And they stopped the chariot. They went into the river and he baptized him right there. That's what happened with the the Philippian jailer who had probably been involved in beating Paul and Silas. But but he got saved. He said, what must I do? And and Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the Bible says that the jailer took him to his home, washed his wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized. Nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible can you find a single instance of a person who was truly saved who then refused to be baptized. So why should I be baptized? Well, because it's an act of obedience to my Lord. 
Because it reminds me of what Jesus did for me and what Jesus did in me. And and when I am baptized, it is a witness to everyone that I am serious that Jesus has changed my life. And so where are you? Have you repented? Because baptism means nothing unless you've repented. Have you been baptized? And if you haven't, then why not today? I want to close by speaking to several different groups. First of all, there are some of you here today who perhaps have never been baptized because you've never been saved. I mean, why would you be baptized? You've you've never committed your life to Jesus. You've never believed the gospel. You've never repented of your sin. And so what would you get baptized for? And, And to you who are here that you've never believed the gospel and repented. I want to challenge you in just a moment to swallow your pride, whatever else it may be that's keeping you from giving your heart and your life to Jesus and repent, believe the gospel, and ask you to do that. And then there's another group of you here, perhaps this morning, that you were baptized, christened as an infant. And, and if you're honest, you know that that baptism didn't mean a thing. It might have been your parents' commitment to raise you up in a way that was pleasing to God. And that's a good and that's a noble thing, but, but that's not baptism. Baptism is a believer's baptism. And, and maybe you did that, and maybe you've been depending on that to get you to heaven, and, and now you realize you've never repented, and you need to repent and then be baptized. Maybe there are some of you here who you've been immersed You've been dunked just like the three this morning that got dunked in that pool in our church. But you know that you know that you know that your life's never been changed. You got baptized because you knew something was missing and you thought perhaps that going through that motion would would feel what was missing and you went through the motion but it didn't work. You still weren't changed. And the reason is, is because we're never saved through baptism. We're saved through believing the gospel, repenting, and, and then baptism is the next step. And then perhaps there's some of you here who, you've trusted the gospel, you've repented, but you've never been baptized biblically by immersion for some reason or another. And I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's the tradition you've been brought up in. Maybe you've never known how important baptism was in the scriptures. But you're here, you've given your heart and life to Jesus, but you've never been baptized. And so what we're going to do this morning is this. We're going to pray two prayers. We're going to pray a prayer of belief and repentance. And and if you're here and you've never believed the gospel and repented of your sins, then I want to give you a chance to do that this morning. And after we do that, if you're here and you've never taken that step of obedience and been baptized, I I want to encourage you to pray and ask God to give you the courage because it takes courage to publicly profess your faith in Jesus and not do it next week or the next week or the next week, but do it this morning. Draw a line in the sand. Say, I mean business. So bow your head with me right now. And if you're here and you've never given your heart and life 
to Jesus. You've never repented of your sins. You've never believed the gospel is the only hope you have for getting free of sin. Then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I come to you this morning asking you to forgive me. I am a sinner. And I know my very best will never be good enough. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave to defeat sin for me. And today, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm repenting of my sin, turning from sin. I'm relinquishing control of my life to you. Change me. Save me. Make me new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. And thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, if you're here and and you just prayed that prayer or you've been saved in the past and you've never been baptized and you know that you need to, I encourage you to pray this prayer to Jesus right now. Dear Jesus, I know what your word says. And I want you to forgive me for not taking this step earlier. I need you, Jesus, to give me the strength, to give me the courage to take this step. I'm going to be obedient today, Jesus. I know you're going to be with me. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, no one looking around, If you prayed that first prayer, inviting Jesus into your heart this morning, believing the gospel, repenting of your sins, would you raise your hand right now? If you prayed that first prayer, anyone here? Anyone? Raise it high. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Heads still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here this morning and you've not been baptized as a believer... And you know that today you need to do that. And you're willing to take that step of obedience. Would you lift your hand right now? No one looking. No pressure. This is easy for you. If you're saying, I want to take that step today. Would you raise your hand? Anyone? Anyone here? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Head still bowed. Eyes still closed. I want to pray. And then both here and at our West Campus, we're going to tell you what your next step is. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for those who have made decisions. Now, Father, I pray that as they take that step to act on the decision, that you will give them courage. We rejoice in what you're doing in their lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at me for just one moment, and then we're going to continue to worship. If you're here and you raised your hand saying, I want to profess my faith in Jesus, you need to do that today. And the good news is we've got another service coming up. And at the beginning of the service, we're going to already be baptizing people. And you are going to be one of those people.
I'm going to ask Pastor Steve if he will stand right now. He's going to move over to the right. And what I want to ask you to do, if you need to take that step of obedience to be a witness, to publicly profess in your faith in Jesus, as we sing in just a moment, I want to encourage you to come to Pastor Steve. You can just walk around the back, and he'll tell you what you need to do next. And we're going to celebrate with you in the next service. And so as we sing in just a moment, you just stand up as everyone else stands. You just make your way to Pastor Steve and he'll tell you what's next. Well, at this time, we're going to worship through giving. We're going to worship through singing. And we know that it's going to be a wonderful time. So let me pray and then we're going to continue to worship. Lord God, we thank you for the decisions that have been made. We thank you for those who are going to follow through. And we ask you, Lord, to bless them and help their decision to be a testimony to everyone else. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.